0: Trust you to do the right thing Can't Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Now We're Talking. This me. is a podcast about communication skills. My name is Rob Danish. I'm a professor of communication studies at the University of Waterloo. This is episode 93 of Now We're Talking. So in this, the title of this episode is called What's the Difference Between Persuasion and Compliance and Why People Mostly Choose Compliance uh and if it was an even longer title it'd be why people mostly choose compliance and why that's a big mistake um and today's episode i kind of i'm trying to set up um a couple of different a couple of other episodes that will come after this one will be directly related to this episode because i want to get back to talking about persuasion uh and why it matters and how to get better at it etc um, so first, let's talk about what compliance is and what the difference between compliance is and, and persuasion. Um, compliance is a, often a quick fix solution to a problem because it is an attempt to generate a kind of behavioral change or a behavioral response in a sort of fast way. So we've talked about this in, early, in an earlier episode. We talked about Robert Cialdini's work, um, Cialdini is probably the most famous kind of uh, psychologist that studies compliance, and he talks about compliance in terms of click-whir responses. And uh, that click-whir means like you get the compliance communication practice and the whir is the automatic response to the communication practice. And that's why it's important when we think about compliance to think about a kind of quick reaction, a quick behavioral reaction. Uh, the Obama administration uh, employed a, a guy um who wrote a book called *Nudge*, who is also a kind of behaviorist and interested in compliance, and this guy thought that if you write policy or organize policy in particular ways, you can increase compl- uh, the public's compliance with that with that policy, and these nudges were designed to get that kind of quick behavioral response that was uh, that that they wanted, um, or the, the policymakers wanted. Uh, you can also think about something more mundane, like, okay, let's say you own a convenience store, a 7-Eleven or something, and you've got a problem with teenagers hanging out in the parking lot. This is what we used to do when I was a kid, at least me and my friends would hang out in the parking lot of a 7-Eleven. Okay, not very fun, but that's what we did. Well, the store doesn't want that. The store doesn't want the teenagers hanging out in their parking lot. They're interfering with customers, fights break out, there's drugs, drug dealing sometimes. Uh, so there's all sorts of problems. So in a situation like that, the store owner wants compliance, wants a quick behavioral change. The store owner makes no attempt to persuade the teenagers that parking lot loitering is a bad idea. That's not even a very interesting proposition. The teenagers probably aren't going to be persuaded anyway. So what the store owner would try to do is attempt to modify the environment to deter the teenagers from gathering there. And you know, studies you can read studies about this. Like they might do something simple, like playing really loud classical music or Frank Sinatra or something over a loudspeaker. In the parking lot, you do that, the teenagers are gonna scatter and you'll get rid of them in no time. You'll get the quick behavioral response that you want. Uh, When I teach interpersonal communication, I talk about this more in terms of uh, threats. So a threat is the kind of most basic interpersonal communication unit of a compliance tactic. And a threat can be a threat of force or it can be a more general kind of threat. Um, So ad baculum arguments are threats of force. Um, And then a more general kind of threat is like, okay, let's say you have kids and your kids have chores. And one of the chores is to wash the dishes at night after dinner. And you know, you tell your kid, oh, you know, Julian, it's time to wash the dishes. Can you go do that, please? And the kid is like, no, no, I'm playing, playing video games right now. I can't wash the dishes. And then the parent says to the kid, Julian, if you don't wash the dishes, I'm going to forbid you from playing video games for the rest of the week. That's it. Well, why would you why would a parent do that? Because the parent wants the quick behavioral response. They want the dishes done. They want it done quickly, right now. And the thread is to take away this privilege that the kid has to play, play video games. Um, and you know, it doesn't have to be a parent child relationship um interpersonal relationships between loving partners can involve these kinds of threats for to induce compliance like if you don't go go with me to this thing that i really want to go to then i'm not going with you to this other thing that you want to go to something like that um so the kind of micro communication practice of a threat like i will not continue so it recently had a colleague um they they basically said this absurd kind of threat but it's like, if you don't read these books, then I'm not gonna participate in that, this meeting. Um, it's an attempt, a relatively weak attempt, to gain compliance with the reading of a specific kind of books and a, a kind of position that the colleague wanted to advocate for. Um, let's talk about compliance for a second as a communication strategy. Um, what does a person who communicates for the purposes of compliance Uh, indicate they feel about the person they're trying to get to comply with them. Um, Well, the whole idea behind compliance is that there's a kind of uh, shortcoming or problem or deficiency in the present behavior of the person that you're speaking to, and you're trying to essentially push them into the appropriate behavior or position uh, or action that accords with your expectations and your worldview. Uh, We've talked also in this podcast about push tactics of persuasion and how they're not terribly good. Um, Well, compliance is what I would call a communication red flag. If you see someone trying to, in either either an interpersonal setting or a public communication setting. So if you see someone in a small group or in a one-on-one setting, trying to force a behavioral outcome with a compliance tactic, that is a red flag for ineffective communication. It may work, and the reason it's a red flag for ineffective communication is that it may work in the short run. You may get the behavioral change you want in that particular and specific instance, but it actually creates Resentment, distrust—it—it's um, it, not generative, generative of meaningful and lasting attitudinal change or actionable, lasting change in the person. That's the target of the compliance tactic. Um, you should also think about this in the institutions you work at. So institutions try and get their employees to comply with specific behavioral practices and they write handbooks or they they find they can find you or you know there are all sorts of compliance tactics that they might use the genius of robert cialdini's work is that you know for a lot of us thought that like uh monetary incentives or threats were the only really effective compliance tactics so it's like oh if i pay you a hundred dollars and you do this Then you'll engage in that behavior. Or, you know, I'm gonna beat you up if you don't do this. So the person does the thing. Well, Cialdini found some other compliance tactics that are not so insidious or awful. Um, You know, we actually are more responsive to other compliance tactics. Okay, so lots of people prefer compliance tactics and choose to uh, seek out or engage in or use compliance tactics. Why? Because they're kind of, um, they give you the immediate reward of the behavioral change. So there's like that lasting sense of ah, you know, I got the kid to do the dishes. Um, that's a real achievement on on my part. Great. So there's that immediate gratification from witnessing the behavior that's compliant with your expectations or your worldview. Um, it's also easier. So. It's, if you think about the shop owner, it's way easier to get a, a speaker and blare some Frank Sinatra than it is to try and convince a teenager not to loiter in a parking lot. Um, it's easier to uh, force your kid to do the dishes that they're supposed to do instead of getting them to believe that their contribution to the family through a chore is a really meaningful and valuable and honorable thing to do. So persuasion, it turns out, is a lot harder work than compliance. So people opt in their communication practices for compliance because it's easy and because you get that immediate gratification from seeing the behavior that you're trying to prescribe in action. Okay, so if not compliance, what's what's persuasion? Persuasion is an attempt to actually change beliefs, attitudes, and commitments and when you've changed beliefs, attitudes, and commitments, that usually entails a change in actions and a change in emotions. So there's an affective change and an action-oriented change that comes from a change in attitude, belief, um, or commitment. That's hard to do. And we've talked about it in this podcast uh, about some tactics of persuasion. Um, And we'll talk about some more in the next uh, couple episodes. But to choose persuasion instead of compliance, the first thing I want you to realize is that it's a choice of a more difficult, more complicated and longer term path. Um, So there's no immediate gratification in the process of persuasion. Like there is in compliance gaining, um, and there's no simple. Let's just play some loud, uh, loud Frank Sinatra music and drive the kids out of the parking lot. There's no simple communication path toward uh, an outcome persuasion. Um, that means uh, okay. And then the third thing I'll say about persuasion, how it's different than compliance. Compliance is a deeply self-centered communicative act. So the the reason people choose compliance is that they're focused on their own needs in that moment and their own desires in that moment. So the parent needs the kid to wash the dishes because the parent wants to get on with their, their day and move on with their life. Um, and the parent is getting anxious that the dishes aren't done and the... So the parent needs the kid to do the dishes. The kid doesn't need to do the dishes. It's not about the kid. So the parent turns to the compliance tactic as a way to get their own needs met. Um, this is true in, in you know for the the Seven Eleven store clerk who needs the the parking lot clear of teenagers. It's true for a partner who really needs their their uh, the person that they love to do some action for them because that that action is really really meaningful. Um, So it's a way of selfishly getting our needs met through a communicative act. Persuasion is other-centered. It's not self-centered. So persuasion is a willingness, it requires a willingness to engage with the other person and to consider the place in which they currently are. So you have to know where they are if you want to induce a change in their attitude, their commitment, or their their belief, and ultimately a change, an affective change in their emotions, and a practical change in their in their actions. That is a deeply other-centered task, um, and most people are not capable of pivoting from the self-centered desire for compliance to the other-centered, complicated task of persuasion. So how do you know when someone is trying to actually persuade you of their position, of of a position or to adapt or change a belief or an attitude, or a commitment? Well, the first thing you need to look for is engagement with you. So are they through their communication practices, demonstrating an engagement with you, and your emotions and beliefs and commitments? if there's no engagement with you present, then odds are there's no attempt at persuasion present either. Um, here, so here I'm saying um, persuasion requires engagement, compliance does not. So you don't have to ever even talk with the teenagers who are loitering in the parking lot. Um, you don't have to think about why they're there, etc. Et cetera if you're just going to get them out of the parking lot. But if you want to convince them that loitering in a parking lot is not a good idea, you have to start thinking about who they are, why they're there, what their motivations are, etc. If you want your kid to just do the dishes and shut up about it, then you don't have to concern yourself with what the kid's affective state is in that moment or what they're feeling or what they're thinking or what they're going through, etc. But if you want to convince them or persuade them that it's good to... Um, to dutifully and in a timely fashion do your chores for the well-being for everyone's well-being in the house, that requires you to figure out what they already think about the other people in the house, like the, the meaning of a chore, uh, how they're feeling that day, if they're feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, etc., how to um, improve their commitment to the relationships they have in the house, etc. Um, so it's a, it's a complicated... Process that has to start with the person that you're trying to persuade, not with your own needs. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about this thing called um, motivational interviewing. And motivational interviewing is exactly this kind of technique of persuasion because it starts with the positionality, the motivations of the, of the person you're talking with, and it uses those motivations to induce a change in attitude, belief, or commitment, and ultimately uh, practice, etc. Um, so, motivational interviewing is is what we'll talk about next week as a as a specific communication practice. Um, okay, so for now, let's just uh, review for a second. Persuasion, unlike compliance, requires. kind of longer term commitment it's a more complicated process and it requires an engagement with the other the person you're trying to persuade and it requires you to start with the consideration of that other person instead of starting only with a consideration of your own narcissistic needs in the moment which compliance is uh, pretty much exclusively focused on so um I think what I tell my students when I teach interpersonal communication, what I tell my students is uh, we talk about this in class and I'm like, all right, look around your life and try and find or identify people that you think are more interested in compliance than persuasion and people that you think are more interested in persuasion than compliance. And I ask them, you know, try and figure out kind of ratio, like how many people are you identifying in your life that are more interested in compliance than persuasion versus persuasion and compliance? And they come back to me and, and what do you think they say? Almost universally, it's like everyone in their lives demonstrates an interest in compliance and very, very, very few people demonstrate an interest in persuasion. Every once in a while, I have a student that says, oh, so-and-so who is a, sometimes as a parent, sometimes it's someone they work with, etc." they're really interested in persuasion. And inevitably that person is identified by my student and and other people around that person as a really effective leader. So I think the the last thing I wanna say about this distinction is that uh, good leadership is founded in persuasion, not in compliance gaining. So if you have someone in a management or managerial or supervisory position, that's only interested in compliance tactics of communication. You should be leery of that person and their ability to be an effective leader. Their odds are they're not going to be a very good leader um, because they they are not inter- They're only interested in their own need- needs being met. They're not interested in the person, the people that they're working for, that are working for them, how they feel, how they operate, how they think, how they might be moved to to do something differently. Um, that's where motivational interviewing comes in. It gives people a, a concrete set of practices to get at other people's motivations in order to persuade them, to move them to a different belief or different uh, commitment or a different um, perspective. So uh, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Look around your life, ask yourself, who around me is is demonstrates a deep interest in compliance? Who around me is constantly communicating in ways to induce compliance or short-term behavioral changes that are rewarding for this, the person doing the communicating versus people who are interested in persuasion? Of course, if you listen to Donald Trump for a few minutes, you'll notice that he is almost exclusively interested in compliance and not at all interested in persuasion. Uh, he practices through compliance through ad baculum, uh, arguments ad hominem, arguments, um, all sorts of threats, uh, et cetera. But his only interest is, is getting his own emotional needs meant and getting behaviors, immediate behaviors that fill those emotional needs. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's generally a wise idea to stay away from to engage with people who are interested in persuasion and to try and avoid people who are interested only in, in compliance because that's not a very useful set of communication skills because um, it only gets that kind of short-term payoff. Um, it doesn't create long-term lasting change. Okay, so in the next couple episodes, we're going to pick up on this distinction and, and extend it and, and magnify it into some specific communication practices like motivational interviewing. Okay, thanks everyone for listening and I will be back again soon.